All right, we're going to uh, we're going to begin this morning, this part of this morning, with a little bit of uh, participation. It's kind of a trivia deal. Uh, there may be as much as ten thousand dollars to the person who gets this right. So you're going to want to pay attention. Uh, I'm going to play some music, and as soon as you know who the artist is and the name of the song, you could shout it out. Well, it took one note, right? One note Christmas. with that voice, and we all know that that is Just actually, like the it's not Big Brother. That's Harry Crumb. No mother names their kid Bing. Where the tree so uh, his name is Harry, actually. Isn't that great? Now, at the time you hear this song, you go, hey, that's Harry Crosby, and it just won't seem the same to you. Um, he, when he was growing up, he had a next-door neighbor, best friend, and this is back in the day. Some of you may remember, if you're old enough, back when there was a thing called newspapers. Remember those? And in their local newspaper, they had a weekly column of like, a cartoon thing um, that was about these picks. And uh, it, was, it was called the Bingville Bugle. And so his buddy named him Bingo from Bingville. And that's what he went by for the rest of his life. And so, you know, you got to be careful because people will be merry and you're stuck with it. Um, all right, here's another one for the younger generation, a little bit younger. Uh, who, this is just a question, who plays bass for the Red Hot Chili Peppers? Flea. Flea, yep, the musician in the front, he knew. Um, Flea. Now, let me ask you this, what kind of a mother names her child Flea? <laughs> Nobody. Because that's not his name either. His bandmates named him Flea because they noticed that every time a dog went by, he would jump on it, start biting. No, I'm kidding. Because, because he's always bouncing around and he never stops and slows down. I don't know if that has anything to do with what they do in the green room before the concert, but he bounces around a lot, so they named him Flea. His actual name is Michael Balzery. So I would go with Flea. Uh, all right, here's one for my generation. If you're around my age, maybe you know this. Who is the bass player for an old band called The Police? Sting, right? Sting. And you will be happy to know that his mother didn't name him Sting either. He got that name because uh, he was in a band called The Phoenix Jasmine. And uh, he would always wear on stage a yellow and black striped sweater and they thought he looked like a bumblebee, so they named him Sting. That's what that is. I'm going to give you one more. Uh, you guys recognize her, right? How many of you think Whoopi is her real name? How many of you think Goldberg is her real name? Yeah, she doesn't look like a Whoopi Goldberg. Uh, that's not her real name. Her real name is uh, Karen Elaine Johnson. And there's a reason she's called Whoopi. She tells the story, and she says that all of her friends know that she has a rather significant issue with gas, and they named her after the whoopee cushion. <laughs> I know, disgusting, right? I was going to bring a whoopee cushion in and demonstrate, but I think you know what I'm talking about. So, 
So these names, you know, they come up and it's funny when you start doing the research, you find out every, there's a story behind every one of these goofy names. And none of them just sort of happened, but they had some sort of meaning. I've always been one who um, nicknames the people I love. And so uh, my kids grew up with countless nicknames for me that they had to live with. My eldest daughter, Lisa, uh, I, like most parents of a firstborn, I was just blown away by her. Every time she did something, I'm like, wow, she's incredible. She's so genius. She's so gifted. And, you know, so the first time she waved, that was a big deal. And the first time she walked and talked and all that kind of stuff, I was like, wow, she's way ahead of other kids her age. She is able to do all of these things. And I was always telling people what she's able to do. So I started calling her Lisa Abel, Lisa I just put her name together and I started calling her Leasable. And she's like, I don't know, 70 years old now. And I still call her Leasable. Um, and it's a name that makes no sense to anybody else except it does to her and me. And that's, that's why we have it. Now, my son with the ugly sweater, um, when he was born, he came out of the womb looking like he was ready to play linebacker for the Bears. And he was this like stocky tough little kid who would just run into the wall and go, <laughs> and get up and run into another wall. It explains a lot, right? You're starting to understand more about him. And, and so to me, he was just a Bubba. So we called him Bubba from like in a hospital when he was born. We called him Bubba and everybody called him Bubba. He still has aunts and uncles that call him Bubba to this day. They don't even know his real name. And um, so he was always Bubba. So that was the beginning, and then um, when I was a kid, there was a guy that played in the NFL. He was a running back for the uh, Falcons. His name was Bubba Bean, and every time I heard his name, I laughed. I just thought, that's a really funny name, Bubba Bean, so I started calling Garrett Bubba Bean, and from there, it evolved, and I, I saw you know, some commercial or something that reminded me of the old, the old uh, some of you will remember this, the old cartoon of Beanie and Cecil right? Cecil, the C6 sea serpent. And so I started calling him Beanie. So I went from Bubba to Bubba Bean to Beanie. And you see how it's evolving? So I started calling him Beanie. And uh, now I just shortened it to Bean. And I call him Bean all the time. So if I don't even notice it if you're around and I go, hey, Bean. And he responds to it. So from now on, I suggest call him Bean. He really likes it. Um, <laughs> and the last one, my, my youngest one, Kimberly, um, she has this long name, and so we thought, well, how do you cut it down? What's short for Kimberly? Kim. No, not Kim or Kimmy. Everybody's called Kim. You take the name, you cut it in half, you got Kim on one side and Burley on the other, so I call her Burley. And so when she was little, I started calling her Burley. And um, I know you're getting inside my head and you're thinking, I'm never coming back to this church again. This guy's insane. <laughs> so I started calling her Burley and then it was Christmas and we were watching the uh, deeply spiritual television show called Santa Claus is Coming to Town. And some of you will remember this, which by the way, I found out is not a true story. I, I watched the whole thing. Not, not a true story. It didn't happen that way. But anyway, in there, there is a character named Burgermeister Meisterburger, right? You remember? right? And so I saw that name and I thought that has to go with Burley somehow. So I started calling her Burley Heimer Heimer Burley. And then I realized I haven't shortened her name very well. <laughs> it's getting longer and longer. So I called her Burley Heimer Heimer Burley and then I just started calling her Heimer. 
And, and that just kind of sounded weird, so I started calling her Jaime. And to this day, I call her Jaime all the time. And it's not Jaime, it's not like Jaime, it's not like that, it's Jaime, H-I-M-Y. And uh, that's what I call her all the time, and she answers to it. I would imagine she would not answer to it from anybody else, but she answers from me. I call her Jaime. The point of all of this is names mean something. And oftentimes when names are given, they're given for a reason. When I was a kid, uh, I grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood, and all my friends were Mexican, essentially, in my community. And, and so I grew up all around Spanish. That's where I began to speak Spanish. And, and uh, I still wasn't real clear on all the lingo, but all of my friends, they used to call me El Guapo. Or maybe, maybe it was El Gordo. I don't remember. <laughs> I remember it started with a G, but somehow it, it had some significance. I don't know what it was. But anyway, my point is this. For the past, she thought it was funny. Yeah. For the past couple weeks, we've been talking about these titles that Isaiah gave to Jesus in Isaiah 9. Uh, you know, and, and he was the wonderful counselor. He was the mighty God. He's the eternal father. He's the prince of peace. And we talked about those at length the last couple of weeks. But today I want to get on and I want to talk about the names given to Jesus. Not just the titles about who he would be, but a couple of his names. Because there's a lot of names for God in the Bible. A lot. And there's a lot of names for Jesus specifically in the Bible. Um, but today I want to talk about his Christmas names. And we're going to find that on page one of your New Testament. So open to the book of Matthew, New Testament, book of Matthew, chapter one. And in Matthew chapter one, we're going to begin in verse 18. And I want to read to you a story that you probably have heard before. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, in some cultures... Parents give lots of names to their kids. In, in our culture, it's commonly three names. You get a first name, a middle name, and a last name. Some people have two middle names because they're trying to, you know, get inheritance from two different aunts or something like that. But for the most part, we got a first name, a middle name, and a last name. But in a lot of cultures, it is not like that. Let me give you an example of this. Um, we'll see how many of you uh, are really great art connoisseurs. Who painted that painting? Picasso, right? How do you know? Because it looks ridiculous, right? <laughs> and so Picasso is famous for painting pictures that look ridiculous. And 
Um, and, you know, I suppose at the bottom it just says Picasso. But his actual name is Pablo Diego Jose Francisco de Paula Juan Nepomenciento Maria de los Remedios Cipriano de la Santísima Trinidad Ruiz y Picasso. That is why we call him Picasso. Um, now, I'm sure if you asked his mom, she would say, I'm dead. Why are you asking me? No, sorry. If you asked his mom, she would be able to explain every one of those names. She would tell you about the uncle that he was named for over here and the, the grandpa that he was named for over here and all the details of where he lived and all these things that are incumbent to you know, that long of a name. She could tell you all those details, but I think we should just call him Picasso because we're never going to remember all that, right? But every one of those names had some meaning. Well, in ancient Jewish culture, the deal was that you were given a name at birth and usually um, thoughtful parents gave you a name based on what they hoped you would become. So you would, you would get a name at birth and it would be based on, you know, what, what they thought you might become or what they thought you might do. And then as your life went on, if you went in a different direction and chose a different vocation or went to another place or whatever, oftentimes you would receive a new name that fit better with what you actually turned out to do. So we see this lots of times in scripture. We see in the book of Genesis, for example, there's this guy named Abram, which means exalted father. But then God comes to him and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And he changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, right? And he's all, always known as Abraham after that. There's a guy in the New Testament named Saul. And Saul is a Hebrew word that means knucklehead who kills Christians or something like that. And when he came to know Jesus, the first thing Jesus did was changed his name, right? And he became known as Paul. And Paul had an entirely different meaning. There was a guy in the New Testament named Simon, right? He was, Simon is a Hebrew word that means fisherman who always puts his foot in his mouth. And that name got changed and Simon became who? Peter. And what does Peter mean? <laughs> Disciple who puts his foot in his mouth. No, it means rock. Because, because he gave the confession that Jesus was the Christ, and Jesus said that truth that he is the Christ is the rock, the foundation, the, the cornerstone, if you will, of all that we will believe as Christians. And so he changed Peter's name to rock because of that truth. There was another disciple who was a tax collector. His name was Levi. And when he came to know Jesus and became a follower of Jesus, he received a new name. Anybody know what it was? Matthew, he's the one that wrote the book that we're reading today, right? So that was common. When you see a person in scripture who's given a new name, pay attention. Because oftentimes when you're given a new name, it means something and it has significance. In Matthew 1, the baby in the manger is called by two names. He's called Jesus and he's called Emmanuel. And I want to take a minute and I want to see if we can sort of unpack that for a second and give us a little more insight into what Christmas is really all about based on Jesus's Christmas names. So let's take the second one first, Emmanuel. Um, and the cool thing is, if you want to know the meaning of Emmanuel, you don't have to look it up. It's given to you right in the verse. Look at verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. 
Now, you'll notice that I spelled Emmanuel with an I. Earlier, we sang Emmanuel with an E. So sometimes it's with an I and sometimes it's with an E. Who knows why? Yeah, I don't know either. I was just asking. I thought maybe somebody would know. Yeah, but that's how it is. In the scripture, sometimes it's an E, sometimes it's an I. It's a transliteration of a name, so we're not so sure. But Emmanuel means God with us. And he tells us right there, when he quotes the scripture, he says, it's translated as God with us. When, when my kids were little, uh, we, wanted to, we wanted to somehow fight that battle to keep Christ in the center of Christmas, you know? And it's really hard in our own lives, and it's really hard with, with little kids, right? Because little kids want to see stockings and wrapped gifts and all that kind of stuff. And I remember when I was a little kid, man, the reason to wake up on Christmas morning was to see if that stocking had been filled and all of that kind of stuff. And that was my thing. I wanted to know if the guy in the red suit had shown up. That was my question. I didn't want my kids waking up with that question in their mind. I want them to wake up on Christmas morning thinking about Jesus. And so what we did was, you know, this is a brainwashing tool that we use with our kids. We, we started early in the month of December with an advent calendar, and we would open a, uh, we'd have a family time together each night, open a window, read a couple of verses from Scripture, talk about how that applied to Christmas and all of that. Um, and there was right there by the advent calendar, there was a nativity set, a traditional nativity set with shepherds and wise men and Joseph and Mary and all that kind of stuff. But one, one thing missing, and that was the manger with baby Jesus, nowhere to be found. But on Christmas morning, somehow, magically, after the kids went to bed at night, that baby Jesus showed up in the middle of that nativity scene. And so when the kids would wake up in the morning, we'd say, do you think Jesus came? And they would all run to where the nativity scene was and look to find baby Jesus, and we would all rejoice that God sent Jesus. And, and he had been hidden until he was revealed on that day, and that was a huge deal to us because it meant God is with us. Jesus has come to us. God didn't just sit back and say, get your act together, and when your act is together, come here. He said, I'm going to come to you. And he went way beyond just coming to us. It's a huge, huge concept, God with us. Because it's not just God is watching us. It's not just God is taking care of us. It's not just that God knows about us. It's that God actually became one of us. And you say, well, how did that happen? I don't know, but he's God, and he did, and he became one of us. That's why it's so important we sing every year these Christmas songs about how he was born of a virgin. The reason that is important is because it means that he, he had an earthly mother, but he did not have an earthly father. He inherited humanity through his earthly mother, but he inherited divinity, or he didn't inherit, he had divinity already because he was fully God. So he became human so that he could fully experience humanity, so that he could die as our substitute. And, and I know we're used to that. I know we've heard it a million times, and it's kind of, oh, yeah, let's move on. But guys, it should never make us yawn. Our eyes should get big every time. We should say, he did what? God did what? 
God cares about me so much that he actually condescended not just to visit us, not just to give us something, not just to do something for us, but he condescended to become one of us. He was in his mother's womb developing. He was laid in a manger as a child. He became human. He made his debut in that little hamlet called Bethlehem, and, and there was nobody there to cheer for him. There was no fanfare. Um, there was just his teenage parents and some animals, presumably. And finally, some shepherds showed up. And that was it. He became one of us. And when he's called God with us, it doesn't mean that he just came to visit us. He actually became one of us. The transcendent one walk the earth in human flesh. The all-powerful one became hungry, got tired, and had to rest. The sovereign one submitted to the authority of his parents and his teachers and the soldiers and the government and the legal authorities that had been placed over him. The all-knowing one, the scripture says, grew in wisdom and stature. How did that happen? I don't know. It happened. The one who is the source of life experienced death so that we could experience life. He fully experienced humanity. That's entirely different than visiting us. There's no experience you've had that he can't identify with. You were in the womb, he was in the womb. You were, you were a helpless child, dependent upon your parents, he was dependent upon his parents. You, you grew up as a child and learned things and developed and grew and got taller and bigger. He did all of those things. You endure hardships, he, he knew hardships. You, you get lonely, he was deserted again and again and again. You know something about betrayal? One of his best friends sold him out with a kiss for 30 pieces of silver, and all the other guys ran. Persecution, grief, temptation. Listen, there's nothing you've experienced that he doesn't know personally from experience. Have you felt pressure? Because he swept blood. Fully human. Because he's Emmanuel... We don't have a God who can't relate to us. We don't have a God who only has an intellectual understanding of what it's like to be us. We have a God who knows experientially every bit of what it's like to be us. And it's not just that he was with us. He still is with us. Amen? Amen. it's, It's not just like this temporary thing. His name does not, is, was, does not mean he was with us. His name does not mean one day he will be with us. His name means God is with us today, yesterday, and forevermore. Always the same, never changing. Christmas means that God understands us, that he knows intimately what it's like to walk in your shoes. And he cares enough to go whatever distance he has to go, to make whatever sacrifice he has to make in order to have a saving relationship with you. Emmanuel, God is with us. What a 
beautiful name it is. But there's a second name given in Matthew 1. It's, the, it's by far the more famous one. It's the one we all use. But it too is filled with meaning. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. You see, the name that we know as Jesus is the Hebrew name Yeshua. And it means Jehovah saves. His name means Savior. His name means that God has not lost sight of us, that God has not lost interest in us, and that God is not without the ability to save us. It means that God goes to any lengths to bring us to him. It means that he is a saving God. Then that implies that there's somebody who needs to be saved. That's us. That there's somebody out there that's drowning. That's us. That there's somebody out there that is helpless. That's us. There's somebody out there who cannot heal themselves, cannot fix themselves, cannot complete themselves. That's us. And Jesus comes to save. That's why his name is Jesus. And verse 25 tells us that they called him by that name. And we've been calling him by that name ever since. Why'd they call him Jesus? Because he came on a mission to save us. And, and sometimes we get so focused on this little picture, it's a, it's a nativity set inside of a snow globe, just this little tiny thing, and we hold it up at Christmas, and we look and go, oh, look, God became a baby. Isn't that wonderful? And we sing, oh, holy night, and we sing these songs that only come out in December, and we think about Jesus the baby, and we get so focused, and what I want us to do today for just a second is I want us to back up the camera, and I want us to understand there's a reason there's a baby in that manger. Because the scripture says that God created everything by just speaking a word. And it says that when he created everything, he, he created man in his own image to rule over everything that he created. And it says that because man is created in his image, part of what that means is that man has to have a choice. He has to have a free will. If he doesn't have a free will, he's not like God. And so God makes us like him in the sense that we have a free will and we get to choose whether to submit to God or not to submit to God. And our forefathers chose a long time ago not to submit to God and we've been choosing not to submit to God ever since, generation after generation after generation. And because of that, the scripture says that there's something that theologians call the fall of man, that God created man to, to be perfect, to live joyfully forever, to not be um, susceptible to death, to have a perfect relationship with God. But all of that was blown when man decided to be his own God. Man fell. And for generation after generation after generation after generation after generation after generation, death has reigned as a result. Jesus came to reverse the curse. Jesus came so that life would reign instead of death. Jesus came to redeem we who were lost. Jesus came to pay the price that is so high, none of us nor all of us together could ever pay it. Jesus came to be our Savior. He came because you need a Savior. 
He came because I need a savior. He came because of that helplessness, because of that inability to fix ourselves, because we're drowning without him. He came to be our savior. And we try to find ways to capture that concept. And I got a Christmas card years ago, and I was so touched by what it said that I wrote it down and kept it. Here's what it said. If our greatest need had been information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent an economist. But since our greatest need was forgiveness... God sent a Savior. He came to save. And every time you speak His name, Jesus, you should remember that He came to save. And that, my friends, is why Christmas is a big stinking deal. That's why we make such a fuss over all of this. Because God became one with us, Emmanuel. Because God sent a Savior, Jesus. His name is Emmanuel. His name is Jesus. He became like us so we could become like Him. He, he became uh, the price for our sin because we couldn't pay the price for our sin. And he rose to new life so that we could have life forever. That's what Christmas is about. That's why he came. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, Jehovah saves. What a beautiful name it is. I thought it would be appropriate if we would just stand and sing together about that beautiful name this Christmas morning. Your love was greater 
The Father has bestowed upon him that name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful name that is. What an awesome God we serve. What an incredible privilege to celebrate him. Let's keep him at the center. Remember that God is with us because he loves us enough to save us. And that's what Christmas is about. Merry Christmas.